Lord, we've come to the time in this service when your word becomes first and foremost for us to consider. We know that you have sent your word and healed people. You sent your word, O oh Lord, and saved people. You sent your word and encouraged people. You sent your word and instructed people. You sent your word and guided people. And Lord, we pray that all of these attributes of preaching the word of God will come to forefront today, that people that need a touch will get a touch. I pray, O oh Lord, your blessing upon this preaching event, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Turn with me over to a book in the Old Testament, Zechariah. Zechariah. He's called one of the minor prophets, but there's nothing minor about his prophecy. In fact, he's one of the messianic prophets and talks about the things pertaining to the priesthood and how that Jesus will be a, a fountain that will be open in the house of David for cleansing, for all manner of uncleanness, all manner of unrighteousness, all manner of sin, that Zechariah is saying there is a time coming that a fountain will be opened Boy, that's a great promise to people who live in a desert. Brother, when you live in Palestine, water is very important. And it's wonderful when you just look across the landscape because everywhere there's any water, it's visible, isn't it, Don? Everywhere you're looking at brown and shades of brown everywhere. But if water is present, there is a speck of green always well, you know, Jericho is the lowest point on the face of the earth. Did you know that? It's also the oldest city on the face of the earth. It's been destroyed so many times. There are many, many layers that are there of how Jericho has been rebuilt. But Jericho is a, a place that is there because water is there. Water is there. In fact, in those springs that there are little aqueducts, subterranean aqueducts that carry water from those springs throughout the whole city, much like it is in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem also is a city that has plenty of water, but it's not from runoff. It's not from getting rain. It's actually, in those days, they got their water supply from a fountain that uh, was digged about eight or ten miles north of the city and they ran it into what was called Solomon's Reservoirs. And so they always had uh, uh, plenty of, of water because of that. And, and God always supplied needs. They don't get very much rainfall there because they depend upon fountains. They depend upon these sources of water that just spring up in the middle of desert places. And everywhere water appears, you'll find people there and a town there. And that's kind of just the way it is in Palestine. Now, at the particular time of the writing of Zechariah, Zechariah was one of the post-exilic uh, prophets. Now, what does that mean? All of you know that sometimes God's people don't do right. Sometimes God's people forget. Sometimes God's people wander off into all kind of mischief and rebellion and paganism 
And I want to tell you, there's, if there's anything that angers God, it's idolatry. He's very serious when he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And when Israel started adapting to all of the gods of the pagans around them, the Moabites and the Edomites and all of the surrounding uh, peoples of, of that region, instead of affecting their culture, their culture affected them. And they forgot about God. And Jeremiah started warning, there's going to come some chastisement from the Lord because of this. Now Jeremiah was a great prophet, but he never had a convert. Because his message was a message of, uh, God's going to get you for this. Now I want to tell you, you probably can't build a very good church preaching a, a message, God's going to get you for this. There won't be very many potential members that will want to join a church where the main message is God won't put up with this. God won't have this. And when God's people, the Bible said, when God's people err and when God's people wander astray, then the Bible said God chastises them. How many of you know that great scripture, whom the Lord loves? Well, you get the picture. In other words, there's some God exercises tough love and lets us know that he won't tolerate our wandering into paganism and idolatry. Therefore, Jeremiah, uh, all, Isaiah, all those prophets, they inform the people there's going to come a day of chastisement. When an army is going to come in here and he's going to destroy this temple, he's going to destroy all that is Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is going to be uh, laid to uh, ruins, and said they're going to take away captives and they're going to be led away to another country that you don't know. And you're going to be enslaved. You're going to be put into bondage. But he said after 70 years, you're going to be able to return back. In fact, Jeremiah, you remember the Lord told him to go buy some property. And you'd wonder, well, my Lord God, I've been preaching about you're going to take us away from here and put us into, into uh, slavery and uh, to teach us a lesson. And uh, you're telling me go and uh, buy property? And God was saying, I want you to buy property because you can trust me because I will not always be angry and I will not always, hallelujah, I will not always uh, chide. But he said, there will come a time when I'll restore it. I'll bring you back. And when you get back, you're going to need a piece of property here. So you're investing in the future. Even though you're going into chastisement, he said, invest in the future because God will not always be a God of chastisement. He chastens us because he loves us, but he always restores and he always brings us back. So Zechariah was one of those prophets that lived through the exile. And he is one that God spoke to about opening up things in uh, Israel and in particular in Jerusalem. Now, if you're reading with me there, you're finding out that Zechariah had a, had, a, had a history. And he was a member of a particular family. A family that uh, was of the priesthood of Israel. In fact, his father, who was Benachariah, and he was of the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to cleanse them from sin and iniquity. It takes a priest to get involved in that. And Zechariah was a member of a priestly family. His grandfather was a man named Iddo, I-D-D-O. 
Now, that's not a common name. I don't expect you to remember it unless you were just reading specifically to find his name. You probably wouldn't find it mentioned except in that book and perhaps another of the prophetic books, maybe Nehemiah. Nehemiah records a man named Iddo who was in charge of the temple and putting back the priestly ornaments and the priestly things that belong in the temple. So Iddo was a priest and he was of a house and of a lineage probably of the tribe of Levi because they're the ones that usually handle priestly matters. So Zechariah was a grandson of the person who was put in charge of restoring the temple and putting the temple back like it should be. Well, that's a good ancestry, isn't it? It all means God will bless. So his weird, peculiar name has a good meaning, doesn't it? It means God will bless. His father's name was Benakaria, and Benakaria means this. It means God hath appointed a time. God hath appointed a time. What a great name. God hath appointed a time. So then a granddaddy who was named God will bless, and a daddy whose name was God will appoint a time. So if we put his granddaddy and his daddy together, we've got God will appoint a time when he will bless. So what does Zechariah's name mean? Zechariah means God will remember. God will remember. God will not forget us while we're wandering off in exile. God will not forget us when the Babylonians and the Chaldeans have their foot upon our neck. God will not forget us when Nebuchadnezzar makes a fiery furnace and Hebrew children are cast inside it. God will not forget us when a Persian king casts Daniel into a lion's den. God will not forget us, though we're not at home, we're not where we should be, and we don't are not in proper relationship with God. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten his covenant that he made to our fathers when he said, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee, and I will give thee the land upon which you stand. Your foot marks the place where God's promise will become real. God said, I will remember you. I'll remember my promise that after 70 years, I will restore, I will heal, I will revive, and I will bless you once again. So the God who remembers, who has set a time when he will bless. Wow, what a great family to belong to. God will remember and will set a time when he will bless. Wow, so then Zechariah opens up this verse of this chapter by saying, on that day, on that day, somebody say that day. It sounds like the Lord has set a time. Galatians 4 said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. On that day, a fountain, a fountain, not a river, not a lake, but a fountain 
a fountain shall be opened up in the house of David. Oh, glory to God. Look at that metaphor right there now. All of the barrenness, all of the terrible atrocities that have happened over 70 years. But he said, but God who remembers will set a day and set a time and he's going to open up a fountain because you need redemption and you need restoration and you need a basis upon which you can have a relationship with God. Hallelujah. A fountain will be opened in the house of David to cleanse them from sin and iniquity. Wow, what a promise that was. Could I tell you we are the happy recipients of being able to live in a time when God has remembered and God has set a time and God is blessing. How is God blessing? God is blessing because of this gracious offer of the age that we're living in. The offer is this, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the fountain of the water of life freely. Oh, the old prophet used to holler out, oh, to everyone that is a thirst, everyone that is thirsty, come and drink ye of the water. When Jesus stood at that well at Sychar, a little woman came out to draw some H2O. She came to draw some water. She came to get her some agua. She came to get a, a, a refreshing drink that would supply her needs. It would cleanse her. It would refresh her. It would satisfy her thirst. And she went to that fountain, went to that well. Jacob had dug that well. And there's some preaching to do there, but I gotta move on. But the Bible said, she said to Jesus, she said, sir, you say you've come to this well, you've got water? Jesus said, yeah, I've got water. And it's a special kind of water. She didn't realize that she was by a well, but sitting on that well was the fountain. She didn't realize she'd come to the well to get water, but she stumbled up on the fountain. And that fountain had water that was unlike the water for which she was seeking. Jesus said, give me a drink. And she said, give you a drink? She said, I'm a Samaritan. You're, you're an Israelite, you're, you're Jewish, and Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. How is it that you would ask me to give you a drink? Jesus said, if you knew who I was, if you knew you were at the fountain, if you knew you had an opportunity, then you would ask me, Jesus said, to give you a drink. I would ask you to give me a drink. She said, sir, I've got a picture. You don't have anything. This well is deep. I've got to let my pitcher down to get water. And you're telling me that you can give me a drink. You don't have anything to draw with. Jesus said, if any man shall drink of the water that I shall give him, he shall never, ever thirst again. And she said, sir, give me this water that I thirst no more. And the Bible said, and she straightway, 
left her water pot. Brother, somehow or another, her physical desire for water had been removed. It slid down the priority list. The priority then was this water that I received from the fountain that Zechariah said the Lord would open up. Praise God, when that word said it opened up that fountain, it means that all who want to drink of it, it's open. Hallelujah. That means you can come and you can come and you can come. The young and the old, the rich and the poor, the smart and the ignorant, whoever will come and say, I need the drink of this water. That fountain is open. It's open to you. It's open to me. It's open to everybody that will say, I need a drink from the fountain that will never run dry. Give me this water that I thirst no more. Water, what a wonderful metaphor that is, that Jesus is a, a fountain that will never run dry. The God who restores and the God who heals by putting a fountain in our life. You see, when Zechariah arrived on that scene, Nehemiah arrived on that scene, Ezra arrived on that scene, the walls were torn down, and the remnant of the brethren that were left there were under great shame, and great reproach, these returning exiles could find nothing but despair and disappointment. The situation that people had discovered was so dire that they lost their hope and they lost all of their energy to believe that God could do something that would repair and restore all of that. In fact, Nehemiah, who led a group back, you've heard the sermon I've preached many times, building and battling. Nehemiah took a trowel in one hand and laid mud to build the wall and he took a sword in his other hand and he fought off the armies of Samaria with his sword. And can I tell you that anytime you want to build something for God, you'll always have to fight an enemy that will oppose what you're doing. Oh, you didn't get that. I said anytime you're building something for God, you'll always have to fight off the enemy that does not want you to build. In fact, he'll criticize you. He'll make fun of you. He'll laugh at you. He'll mock you. He'll insult you. He'll embarrass you. Come on, somebody. The Bible said that when uh, Nehemiah was building the wall, the Bible said Sanballat and Tobiah, who were the captains of the army of the Sumerians, they criticized them. They said, why if a fox were to run upon a wall that they would build, it would fall down. They said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they make an end in a day? Will they fortify themselves? Will they revive the stones out of the rubbish heaps which are burned? Wow. You mean, pastor, they were out on the rubbish heap, out on the waste area, and were digging for stones to put back in the building? Whew. You mean they were restoring rubbish? You mean they were on the garbage dump picking up stones that they could still use 
to put back and restore and heal. What a picture. You see, you were a stone in that rubbish heap one day. I said, you were a stone in that waste and that rubbish that somebody thought was no good. You were on that pile of garbage and debris that had been thrown away by armies that thought they'd put it there forever, that it could never be used again. But some man named Nehemiah that had a word from the Lord that said, I will restore and heal, climbed up on that garbage dump and climbed up on that wasteland of yours and began digging for a stone, looking for a stone and turned over you and picked you up and cleaned you off and knocked off all the rough edges and put you in the building and put you in something useful in the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, every one of us were hell-deserving sinners. Every one of us were lost, having no hope without Christ, but we were a stone that God said, I can use that stone. I can make that stone useful. I can turn that stone that's been thrown away into something that is good and blessed. Could you give God some praise for that? Those Jewish exiles were so down in the 10th verse of that 4th chapter, and Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. Brother, you're hearing the testimony of people there that have no hope. You're hearing the testimony of people right there that are down for the count. You're hearing the testimony of people right there. There is so much rubbish that we can't build this wall. There's so much damage. There's so much garbage. There's so much ruin that it can never, ever be rebuilt. Have you ever heard statements like that come from somebody? I'm too far gone, preacher. God could never save somebody like me. God could never touch somebody like me. I'm a hopeless case. I've tried this before and I didn't make it. I tell you, anybody in my family that feels like I could ever do anything good, I've, I've been nothing but a source of hurt and pain and heartache all of my life to my family. Could I tell you those are the kind of people that God specializes in transforming and translating into the kingdom. Those are the kind of people that God delights in changing their, their former life and changing who they used to be into something that's useful and blessed. God loves to do that. I said God loves to do that. Well, Ezra 3 and 12 says, Many of the priests and the Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes they wept with a loud voice brother when suddenly they realized that Ezra and Nehemiah and Zechariah and Haggai were dedicated this is going to happen God has given us a promise that he's going to rebuild and he's going to restore and he's going to help do you believe that God looks into the future and says there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time for we who are Pentecostal. 
the Lord looked forward to a time and he said, it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, praise God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Praise God, we're the blessed ones to live in that dispensation that the Lord said there is coming a time when I'm going to bless. Yes, religion is a slippery slope that's carried people downhill, but God said, I've got something new. I will do a new thing. In the last days, I'll send a new way of worship. I'll send a new form of, of praise. I'll, I'll send a new way of serving. I'll, I'll send a comforter into the world that will empower the church to be a witness for me in the world. Praise God. He set a time. He set a time. And he said it shall come to pass in the last days. I'll pour out my spirit. Wow. God is that kind of God. He fixes things. These people, these exiles knew that God had dealt with them severely. And their present afflictions were the direct result of their disobedience and their rebellion. But hear it again. In that day, in that day, God said, I will open up a fountain in the house of David for uncleanness. Uncleanness. Friends, Zechariah could be speaking of nobody else in that fountain except the Lord Jesus. His blood is a fountain. In fact, there is a connection between this verse and the verse in Mark's gospel that said, when they pierced him, out came blood and water. Jesus' blood is a fountain that will never run dry. The water that he gives is a water that cleanses and washes. Hebrews 10 and 21 tells us having our hearts sprinkled from an even, evil conscience and our, our minds and our bodies washed with pure water. The water and the blood involved in that fountain that flows for every one of us. It was a very, very dark day in Eden when God said to Adam, you've got to leave. That was a dark day for every one of us. For all the theologians in our congregation, that was called the initial sin. That was called the original sin. The original sin. Romans 5 and 19, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Are you getting that? By one man's disobedience, by Adam's transgression, many, can you say many? Many, many were made sinners. You see, I inherited something from that fall. When Adam sinned and God said, you can't stay in my presence, every one of us suffered the consequences of that. Every one of us were born with a responsibility to deal with the issue that we inherited from Adam. Every one of us were born in sin and in sin did our mothers conceive us. And we all had a responsibility upon us. What are you going to do about your sin and what are you going to do about Jesus? To every one of us in this house, that question is most pertinent. What are you going to do with Jesus? To every person that you meet on the street, 
every person driving that highway out there today. The question is, what are you going to do about this fountain called Jesus? It matters very little what you do about Jerry Irwin. It matters very little what you do about Donald Trump. It does very, matters very little what you do with the Pope. It matters very little what you do with any earthly personality. The big question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Either he's Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. Which is he? Which is he? If he's not Lord, then he's pulled the greatest hoax on humanity that was ever recorded in the history of the world. If he's not Lord, he's the greatest maniacal lunatic that ever walked the earth. If he is a lunatic, and if he is a liar, you've got nothing to worry about. It don't matter. But if he is Lord, I said, but if he is Lord, then you are charged with the responsibility to do something about Jesus. And in doing something about Jesus, you got to consider your own selves. You see, these people, when they were a part of the restoration, they found hopelessness until Zechariah said, there's coming a day where the fountain shall be open in the house of David for all manner of uncleanness and unrighteousness. When Adam's disobedience led to our being made sinners. So many will say to me sometimes, Gary, they'll say, I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't come against God. I'm not, I'm not for and I'm not against. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but every person of Adam's race, every descendant of Adam's race has a federal head whose name is Adam. And by his disobedience, all of us were made sinners. Sinners. And if we do nothing, then we will be lost and never know the saving grace of Jesus. So also, through the obedience of one man, who is that? I said through the obedience of one man, who is that? Through the obedience of Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. Disobedience led to sin. Obedience led to righteousness. Are you seeing that? My God, if we could just get our minds wrapped around that today, that our only hope of salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our only hope of eternal life is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our only source of redemption from our plight is to cast ourselves upon Jesus and trust the saving grace of Jesus and his shed blood for the cleansing of all of our sins. And if our sins are washed away, then we're made righteous. Righteous. The Bible said that Jesus came so that we might be made righteous that we might fulfill the righteousness of the law in Jesus. There's healing, there's cleansing, there's refreshing, 
that flows like water from a fountain. He said, in that day, a way will be opened up for the sin curse to be taken out of the way. Isn't that a great word? That God has taken the sin curse out of the way. Brother, if anything ought to make you run aisles and turn cartwheels and flip and yell to the loudest vocal cord in your larynx, it ought to be that God has taken your sin out of the way. You know what Jesus shouts over? Jesus doesn't shout when you pay tithes. If someone were to walk in here today and say, we're going to pay all of your indebtedness off, we're going to write a check for it, and it's done right here. You folks would go to running and jumping and hollering and screaming, woo, woo, woo. But Jesus wouldn't shout one bit. But you know if one person was to walk through that door, lost and undone without God, and walk down that aisle and kneel in this altar and accept the saving grace of Calvary's cross, that I hasten to tell you that all of heaven would rise from their seat and all of heaven would clap and rejoice and praise the saving grace of the Lord Jesus because by grace are you saved through faith. Nothing causes God to rejoice and heaven to rejoice and Jesus to shout like the salvation of a lost person coming to Jesus Christ. Nothing. There's no news that can rise higher than that news that a soul got saved. When we walk from this service this morning, and somebody says, well, how was church today? Oh, we shouted all over the house. My God, we ran aisles. We turned flips, buddy. We yelled and screamed. That would be a great, great report. But a better report would be pastor preached the word of God. And a person that didn't know Jesus walked down the aisle and gave his heart to the Lord Jesus and became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Friend, I'm telling you, there is no report better than that report. There is no statistic better than that statistic. There is nothing that excites us more than that should excite us, that somebody who was lost was found. The Bible said heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. Wow, what a great verse that is. By one man's obedience shall many be made righteous. Hey, I wish I could put it up there. Put, put an N-O up there. Know Jesus. Hmm. Know peace. Know K-N-O-W. Jesus. K-N-O-W. Know peace. No Jesus, no peace. But no Jesus is to no peace. 
God has always been interested in restoration. When he found out Adam had sinned, before he let him leave the garden, he gave him a prophecy. God told him, he said, but there's a day coming when the seed of a woman will bruise the head of the serpent. The serpent, it looks like the serpent won this one. It looks like the devil won this one. You listened to him and you got in the snare and you fell prey to his tactic. Looks like he won. But I'm going to tell you, there's a day coming when the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. The time is coming when things are going to be turned around. The reason I love Irenaeus, one of the first, cent- first fathers of the church, is he taught this. It's called the doctrine of recapitulation. It says this, what we lost in Adam, we regain in Jesus Christ. What tragedy happened in the garden was done away with on a cross called Calvary's cross where a sacrifice hung there suspended between heaven and earth and he bled and he died for you and for me. He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. God said, I've got a time in mind when a fountain's going to be opened. And his name is Jesus. And his blood washes white as snow. Isaiah moved upon by the Holy Ghost said, though your iniquities be as crimson, And though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white like wool and white like snow. God said, I will wipe them out of the way. I'll take them out of the way. I'll take my blotter and I'll blot them out. Are you glad that Jesus has blotted your sins out? Are you glad that God has provided a fountain that can do away with the curse, that can do away with the penalty, that can do away with the awfulness of of hell and the grave? God has done something so magnificent and so marvelous for every one of us that we ought to rejoice and praise and we ought to give him glory because he has provided for us an escape from all of the tragedy that happened in the fall. Wow, I love that. Come on, Connor, and help me, help me quit. God has always had a remedy for sin. And it has always been revealed in types and symbol. That fountain was open when God slew some animals and provided clothing to cover the nakedness and the shame of Adam and Eve. It was open in the book of Exodus when God instructed the people of God to paint some blood of a paschal lamb upon their doorpost. And so was initiated what we call the Passover. And all those that were in that house, they were spared from the awful visit of the death angel. Wow. In Leviticus, when God instituted the system of sacrifices and offerings where people could come into his presence, At the tabernacle, later in the temple, that fountain was opened up. 
Across hundreds of years and through millions of sacrifices, God was declaring that the fountain was open till finally he said there must be one fountain that will be open once and for all and forevermore. There will never be another Calvary. Glory to God. There will never be another Golgotha. There will never be another Pilate's judgment hall. There will never be another crucifixion. Because in Hebrews the Bible said, This man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world. Every priest standeth daily offering sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man. Can somebody say, but this man. But this man who has become a faithful high priest to all who believe hath once finished and done with the matter of sin. When on the cross he made the declaration, it is finished. What he was talking about was not he was finished. He was saying the door has been opened. The fountain has been opened. The flow has increased. And now everyone who wishes to benefit from an open fountain can come and drink. Oh, pressed be God. I wish I had somebody preach the rest of this so I could shout. One of the great hymns of the church is there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flow and lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there have I, though as vile as he, washed all my sins away. Every one of us in this house can sing that song. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 and 11. If you'll put it up there for me, I'll close with this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but yes brother Jerry I had a past that wasn't too good yes brother Jerry there are things in my past that I'm not really proud of yes pastor there are things in my past that were wrong that brought me a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache I brought disappointment to a lot of people in my past but Jesus helped me get past my past. And when I became a new creature in Christ Jesus, I became a, a person that loved to worship and loved to, to sing spiritual songs and I loved to read God's word. That all changed when I got past my past. Of such were some of you, but ye were washed. But ye were washed. But ye were washed. But ye are sanctified but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Wow. Classic testimony, what I used to be and what I am now. Jesus paid it all for me. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it. He washed it as white as snow. 
Stand with me, please. Rejoice in the God of my salvation. Rejoice in the God of my salvation. Rejoice in the God of my salvation. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, mighty, mighty in battle. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, gracious in salvation. Who is this King of glory? His kindness and His mercy endureth to all generations. Who is this King of glory? He forgives and forgets all of our iniquities and pardons all of our sins. Who is this King of glory? He heals all of our diseases. Who is this King of glory? Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord God Almighty. He is the King of glory. I want to give an opportunity this morning. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, and this message has spoken to your heart, and you've realized your need to trust Jesus for the salvation and the washing of your sins away, if you'd like to step out that aisle and come down here, I'll tell you that's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Today could be the most glorious day of your life. Today could be the biggest event in all of your life. You believe that? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. If you're saved, I want you to raise that hand right up to the Lord. Praise God. Are we unanimous? Everybody in the house saved? Look around make sure everybody's saved. If they hadn't got their hand up, we need to pray for them today. Are you saved? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed? Are you washed? Talk to me. Are you washed? Are you washed? I'm washed. Can you say right now I'm washed? Can you say right now I'm saved? Can you say right now I'm on my way to heaven? Can you say right now I know Jesus? He's the Lord of my life, my Savior, my sanctifier, my spirit baptizer. My soon coming king. Woo. Do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus, give him some praise. you and exalt your name and lift you up. Praise the God of our salvation. Blessed be his righteous name. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. I hope you have the best day you've had in a long time today. 
You be careful where you go and everywhere you go, you go with God. And may God go with you. And now may the Lord, God of all grace, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grant unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Keep you safe from danger and give you his blessing and smile upon you and lift his countenance upon you through Jesus our Savior. Amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you. It's my prayer. Have the greatest day you've ever had in Jesus' name.